This episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. Order now at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from like, you know, 12-ish to like almost like, you know, 1 o'clock uh, at Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. How you doing? Yeah. Listen. Listen, I need you to call in all of your cooking-related questions, too. 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. We have uh, no one in the studio today with us. It's just uh, Engineer Dave and myself. How are you doing, Dave? Good. How are you doing? But we have uh, Nastasia the Hammer Lopez uh, joining us from Washington, D.C. on telephone. And do we have our special guest in D.C.? Yes, we do. And, folks, you ready for it? Jackie Molecules. Jack Inslee what from up? D.C. What's up? What's up, Dave? Nothing. How you doing? So have you started this new uh, radio thingamajig down there yet? What's going on? You know, uh, it's under construction. I'll be opening, uh, it's going to be called Full Service Radio, a entire podcast network here in D.C. in an awesome yet-to-be-opened hotel. So it's basically still a construction zone. But uh, loving D.C. so far, man. It's really cool over here. So do you, like, wear blue blazers every day? And, like, uh, I mean, what? Do you no, just, no, no, no. No? The Knicks hat stays on. Yeah? Do you, like, do you, like, just wake up in a Starbucks every morning and hang out with the political people? Is that what happens? What's going on? And I, I have had more Starbucks here in D.C. than I have my entire life in New York, unfortunately. That's actually a true statement. Yeah? Yeah. So are you, uh, are you busy rigging the election while you're waiting for the construction to happen? I've been rigging it. Yeah, I've been actively rigging it. Um, I knew doing it. everything I can. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I did get to tour the White House though, Dave. I got to tour the West Wing, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So what yeah. did like like uh, what did you do? Did you notice stuff that you've seen in all the television programs or what? Well, I mean, you know, I got to see like pictures of Michelle on Bar- on Barack's desk. That was kind of cool. Wait, you I got to see the Oval in, Office? In the Oval Office uh, bathroom. Oh, wait, you look. Wait, you were, like you were in the Oval Office's restroom, but not in the Oval Office itself. Yeah, there's like a bathroom right outside. Guys, like, you know, if you want to use the bathroom, now's your chance. You could use it at the White House. You so. peed in the Oval Office's bathroom. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> now, people who know Nastasia Lopez will know that she cannot be in a new place without using the restroom. This includes, like, you know, if she could have used Elvis's death toilet at Graceland, she would. You definitely would have been all over that Oval Office toilet. Am I right, Nastasia? Oh, yes. There's still time. I'm still here for, like, 12 more hours or something. Now, are you allowed to say why you're there or not? What? Are you allowed to say why you're in Washington or no? Uh, no, I don't think so. So we can talk about it next week? Sure. All right. All right, well, uh, so uh, that's exciting that we know you're in D.C. rigging the election, but we can't talk about exactly what you're doing. All right, we'll talk about it next week. Uh, So in other news, Booker and Dax, the bar is officially closed. Booker and Dax 1.0 at Sambar is officially closed. Uh, So, you know, that's that. Um, 
it was a crazy. Mustasi was away. It was a crazy, crazy Saturday. It was. Uh, it was fun though. It was good. Uh, you know, people are like, "Are you sad to see it close?" I'm like, "No, because it's going to be better the next time when we reopen it." You know what I mean? Yeah, were there piñatas? Okay, so uh, I had two piñatas uh, on me. Uh, I went to a place, a local place in New York called Economy Candy, and uh, bought a bunch of candy for these piñatas. Um, do you know the piñatas now are, are freaking horrible? I went to Party City. Piñatas have been going downhill for years and years. They've just turned into garbage. You know what I mean? Like, first, like, they they started making them out of this cardboard that doesn't break right. You know, I mean, no one, but no one makes a ceramic pot anymore. You know what I mean? But whatever. I'm I'm okay with not having the ceramic pot, like, traditional star piñata. Fine. Uh, Those are awesome, right? Because you knock the, like, those star points off, and then eventually you get to the pot. You know what I mean? But it will break. I've seen these new cardboard piñatas where like I've seen kids break on them for like like 20 minutes and they're getting bored and they walk away from a piñata. What the hell is that? You know what I mean? I mean, what the yeah. heck is that? So like uh so anyway, so I hate the modern piñata, but over the past couple of years, Mustacia, they've gotten even worse. They're now just flat. Most of them are just flat cardboard with like a picture on them of what you're supposed to hit. And a I've little and a little crepe yeah. paper around the outside. I was like, "Yo, like, give me a traditional donkey and a unicorn. You know what I mean? Which is basically, yeah. it's like it's like Carvel ice cream. Like they make Fudgy the Whale into Santa. They took the donkey and made it into a unicorn. So I got a unicorn and a donkey. But I'm just saying, I think that they didn't trust me on the last night to be reasonable. So they didn't allow me to uh, break the pinatas uh, uh, there. So we all went to uh, you know my uh, someone who you know used to be work at Booker and Dax Reynolds opened up his own bar, Black Crescent. So we did a late-night after-party piñata breaking at uh, Black Crescent. So, yes, piñatas were damaged. Some piñatas were harmed in the making of the closing night of uh, Booker Index. I will also just mention this. Um, for So, Nastasi, you're familiar with Diet Coke and Mentos, right? Yes. Yeah. So you take the Mentos, you stick it in the Diet Coke, and Diet Coke is the one everyone uses. You stick the Mentos in the Diet Coke, and you throw it down, and you get all of these nucleation sites, and the Diet Coke bottle basically turns into a rocket, right? Okay. So you can do that with uh, liquid butane or with uh, liquid nitrogen, and you know you can see it on the internet. You can see people doing it with the liquid nitrogen and the thing. So I'm like, oh, I'm not saying I tried this. What I'm saying is, is that if you try it, be extremely careful to not put too much liquid nitrogen in. So what happens is, is that theoretically, I did, let's not say that I did this, but if you were to pour out like you know, half or a third of the bottle of the, oh, I just did a Trump sniff. If you were to pour out like half or a third of the, of the uh, Diet Coke from a fresh bottle and then pour in, um, pour in some liquid nitrogen, right? Now, the liquid nitrogen is floating on the top of the bottle. Now, if you flick that, if you like tilt that bottle down, what happens is the liquid nitrogen will rush through the liquid of the Diet Coke trying to float to the top. And while it's doing that, it's explosively boiling and creating super multiple nucleation sites. So theoretically, it makes a really nice rocket. Uh, it turns out that I guess if you wait a little bit too long or maybe you put too much liquid nitrogen in, that when you turn it upside down, it like takes off for like a foot and then explodes. 
with like the sound of like of of you know like a like like bigger than bigger than a Gucci firework. We're talking like a very loud explosion, and you definitely do not want to do this in Manhattan at like four in the morning. It's definitely not something that I did or that I would recommend that any of you do. Um, anyways, so uh, oh, another thing, uh, Nastasi and I uh, a while back. Okay, so uh, Nastasi and I got paid, right, F- for something, finally, right? So Nastasi and I got paid. Jo- Johnny Walker. Not yet. Not yet. All right. Well, theoretically paid. Promise of payment. Baby steps, Nastasia. Baby steps. Yeah. So um, basically they, these guys came in and they're saying, we have this new Johnny Walker red rye cask, you know, uh, that are, you know, our new one of our master blenders, uh, Emma Walker, no relation, came up with. And we want to come in and do like a cooking issues where you talk to her about this product. Right, Nastasia? is basically how it went. Yeah. So it wasn't one of our normal cooking issues things. And yes, we were paid, but it turns out Nastasi and I had a good time. We liked the product and we actually liked uh, Emma Walker. We thought she was fun. And so we have the cooking issues episode. Dave, how do we, how do they get to, to it's not going on our normal feed because listen, I, I bleeped out some of the crazy parts. I redacted somebody's name who I didn't want to publicly embarrass. Uh, and uh, I cut out some of the cursing, but it's still not really a family show. It's about drinking and there are some some, uh, you know, it's, P- it's PG 13. Yeah. There's some off color stories in it. Let's say even with the bleeping, uh, Carlo Mararchi from, uh, uh, Carlo from, uh, Roberta's makes an appearance towards the end. So Dave, how do they, how do they get to that? Cause it's not part of our normal feed. Right. So if you go to the heritage radio network website, heritage network.org. And if you just use the search bar at the bottom and look for cooking issues, Johnny Walker, it'll come right up. All right now. Now, so you need to actually go to our website to get this. You're not going to, it's not going to, appear in your iTunes or whatever, you have to actually go, which is always a good idea, don't you think, Dave, to go to our Heritage Radio website? Absolutely. Forget iTunes. <laughs> Forget that. Uh, I, you know, I wish I had used that bleep. I was talking about bad ways to, like, you know, like in the 1980s when they used to uh, overdub curses, my least favorite was the forget for the F-bomb. Forget you. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel, it doesn't have the same force. You know what I mean? No, bad replacement. That's a bad replacement. It's a, it's a bad replacement. <laughs> just, say, just say F-U. Just say F. I think that's better. Or yeah. just like silence it or something. So my friend uh, Eric Bonenstiel, uh, who uh, I was hanging out with, you guys don't know him. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, he, I was hanging out with him over the weekend. He said that he saw something and literally they dubbed the full like F-U as get this. You ready for it? And it became his favorite thing to say as a substitute curse. Chinese dentist. Say that again. Chinese dentist. And it's good because it makes no freaking sense. Yes. Chinese dentist has no meaning. Has no meaning. And so understand. So like whenever he would like smash his hand with a hammer or something, he'd go Chinese dentist like that. And it it makes no sense. And he said it was literally racist. I think that's racist. How is it? I mean, like it has no meaning. It can't be racist. Like, what does it mean? How is it? How is it racist? It happens to have the word Chinese in it. Does it have any relationship well, we to looked, it? We just looked it up, and it says it's a mythical person who is said to exist in remote areas of China but has never been cited by a reputable source. That's what, what a Chinese dentist is. What does that mean? What does that even mean? Saying they have bad teeth. Oh. <laughs> you racist? Oh. See? 
Yeah, that's like racist now. That's <laughs> you're being racist. That's so deep that I didn't even I didn't even get the reference. I get it now. But why would they use that? Why would they use that as a as a as a dub in a movie? Bad. Some some you know some clansman was uh, doing the overdubs. Dang, I'm gonna have to tell Eric never to use that. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't have told you. Uh, see, now this is classic Nastasia, right? She would prefer that I walk around like accidentally insulting people than like tell me what's going on. I want you all to kind of realize, you know, where Nastasia is on this sort of a thing. Crazy. Crazy. All right. Speaking of uh, things that may or may not be offensive, uh, Elliot wrote in, can you discuss a cook's integrity as it relates to trying to replicate dishes and techniques seen on social media? Um, what is crossing the line and what is the sharing of ideas? Curious what you think. And hopefully there is a guest today that can also weigh in, uh, Elliot. Well, I don't know. I mean, you guys can, can weigh in. Um, I can't believe you looked it up that fast. You guys are crazy. Well, thank you. Thank you for saving me from going the entire episode without knowing that I was like uh, accidentally (laughs) spewing hatred. Yeah. Who knows how many more times you would have dropped that. Right. Throughout the episode, like 8 billion. And yeah. someone would have like written in and been like, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Mm. Anyways. Mm. So, um, here's what I think. I think a lot depends, right? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a short story, uh, about, uh, the, the, the bar and then we can talk more about, uh, other stuff. So, like I've had many bartenders at Booker and Dax uh, who have gone on to do um, you know bigger and better things, their own programs, uh, go to work at you know the best bars in the country or run them, and um, the the thing is is that they tend not to take some of the um, some of the core technique, most of the core techniques from Booker and Dax. Now some of that is because you know they can't afford a centrifuge or, or whatever, but a lot of those recipes and techniques tend not to get uh, taken from or you know, did not get taken from Booker and Dax and, and kind of promulgated to other bars. And I always wondered why. Now, it could just be that those techniques suck and nobody wants to use them, right? That's the first way, right, Stas? Could be that. Uh, right. Right. Just maybe they just, they're just not good. Or uh, alternatively, um, I put such a um, – I put such a – uh, uh, kind of a, a premium on not doing anyone else's stuff, like not doing other people's specs, uh, not using techniques uh, that were developed, modern, recent techniques that were developed by, uh, you know, other people or people I knew, uh, you know, or that we hadn't come to independently. And I think um, that kind of made them feel that using that stuff would would is bad, right? That using it would be a ripoff or whatever. And I, and that's actually the opposite of what I want. Like I want those techniques to be, um, to be used, right? I mean, the issue of anyone, what people don't like, I think everyone wants their stuff to get, um, used, uh, their recipes and techniques to get used. What they want out of it is 
to be honest, like some sort of like uh, credit, right? So what they don't want to have happen, like the worst thing that can happen, and it's happened, Stas, how many times has this happened? Like you come up with something, somebody else uses it, they're the more famous person, it gets credited to them and you're hosed, right? That's, that's the worst case scenario. Um, the other thing that, you people, love that. Oh, that's my favorite, <laughs> it's my absolute favorite. But the, the other thing that happens is that, um, the other thing that people hate is when, you know, someone, uh, will take a technique or a recipe to a different market and then allow reporters and other people to say that it was their idea. That's also not kosher at all. But, um, you know, I, I think if you use a recipe, or a technique or, or anything. And as long as when the reporters come and ask you, you're like, yeah, this was an awesome recipe from whoever, from Sean Brock, from Wiley Dufresne, from Johnny Azzini, from Dominique Ansel, from whomever, you know what I mean? I think, um, I think it's, that's, that's the, the issue. What people don't want is someone to take credit for a recipe. I mean, there's, it's famously said, you don't patent, you know, the, these recipes that, you know, they're basically, they're open source as long as you can figure out how to make them. Uh, but there is in the, in the higher end, uh, food world, uh, and drink world, at least like, a, a some sort of sense of honor, uh, in it. And I think that, I think as long as you are respecting, um, that kind of code of, uh, honor and ethics, you know, use it. I would love it if people used, you know, uh, recipes. Jim Meehan, uh, kind of famously said from, you know, PDT that, you know, the goal, at least of a bartender is to create a recipe that becomes a classic and is made everywhere. Right. I mean, uh, and I would think the same thing would hold true for, um, you know, a chef. What do you think guys? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, don't Except for techniques. Tell them what your technique is that people stole. Which one? The uh, rapid infusion. Oh, yeah, but no, people know that I, I came up with that. With the ISI mm -hmm. infusion? Whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends. The right people know. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you going to do? The, 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 again, the, the issue is that this is why like people like Ferran Adria put a year on everything that they do so that they can kind of date it and plant their flag in it. And, and the only reason it even really matters at all is, I mean, it's weird. When you're a cook, you're in the business of making ephemeral things that get consumed on a daily basis, right? Uh, and yet you still, for some reason, and, and I think part of this has to do with kind of the group of people that are becoming um, cooks these days, is you still want to have some sort of uh, um, you, you, you want to exist past the last meal you made. You want to have some sort of um, uh, impact or some sort of uh, you know note that you have existed, other than the fact that you just happened to have cooked. And so that's why you know people and, and you look back at old chefs that have famous dishes or famous cook famous cookbooks. There's another reason why it's a good idea, like if you're well known, to uh, actually make a cookbook. You know, because then at least you plant your flag in something and people can look back on it. Um, that's initially why we started Cooking Issues blog years and years and years ago was so that we had some sort of record. So it wasn't just we would do stuff, teach other people how to do that stuff, and then, you know, it just gets forgotten. Um, but it's kind of a weird – it's a weird impulse. I mean I do have that impulse to want to plant that flag, but it's a weird impulse to have in a business where you're making stuff for people to eat. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, because, you know, in the old days, and it's entirely honorable, right, to all you care about is good execution, right? Like you don't care necessarily about making a name for yourself, whatever that means, or uh, having some sort of posterity. All you care about is the food that's in front of you right now. I mean, that's the Zen way to go. You're not supposed to care about your own kind of personal um, baggage or what, you know, what you need out of, uh, you know, so that you can, when you're, you know, you know, an, an old person and people come up and you're like, you are the great cook, blah, blah, you know, you know, like that's not necessarily what it needs to be about. Um, and as, you know, especially if you're one of those kind of, uh, cooks, like these kinds of issues aren't really, uh, a problem. So the, the short answer is, is that if you fancy yourself an extremely creative cook or someone who's doing cutting edge uh, things, or if being original is important to you, uh, it is still uh, okay. In fact, encouraged to use uh, other people's ideas as long as you're not a dirtbag about it. Right? Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jerry. Yep. I actually have a question from a, a listener that I met here in D.C. if you want to take that real quick. Sure. Yeah, cool. This one's coming from Josh Seberg. Um, <laughs> it's a throwback. He wants to know if he can find a practical use for a vegetti behind the bar. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I in my mind, Jack, I had about 8,000 inappropriate references immediately pop up. And I have suppressed them all. Thankfully, I... No, don't suppress No, no, no. I can't, especially... Uh, that was unintentional. That was unintentional. You might as well just go all in, Dave. No, you no, know. no. Why not? No, especially in today's political climate, I am not about to like. Start now, now more than ever, you you have a uh, license, you know. Not going to be. People dropping, can just say whatever pops into their heads. So. Dropping vegetti bombs all Why over you everything. Be any different. Well, I'm going to actually attempt to legitimately. So, for those of you that don't know. The Vegetti, a.k.a. the Spiralizer, uh, was one of our favorite topics back in the day. Uh, who was it, Nastasia, that originally sent us the Vegetti? Claire. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it doesn't take someone with a dirty mind to see how stupid that name is, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's like a, a thing with an orifice that you jam like cylindrical things into and it shreds them in its teeth and it's called a vegetti. I mean, you don't need to travel too far mentally to get to the scads of vegetti jokes because Claire, Nastasia's friend, would call in kind of seemingly unaware of what she was talking about while we were asking her what manner of things she was shoving into her vegetti. And she would say things that were like, you know, if your mind was taking the leap that everyone's did, would seem in inappropriate. But I think the problem with making Vegetti jokes behind the bar is that while the bar arena is less sexist than the kitchen arena, I'm talking professional, it still has a long freaking way to go for um, gender parity. So I will merely say this. I want to see as many Vegetti's behind the bar as is humanly possible. Uh, because uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a problem, but it is, wow. 
it, well, but it is a notion. It is an area that I'm taking it on the metaphorical sense here. It is an area of food service. I think that is making inroads faster than the back of house kitchen is. And so I think anything that goes that direction is good. Now to the serious question of, should I put an actual vegetable spiralizer behind the bar? If you are the kind of person that prefers to drink your cocktails with chopsticks, then I say go ahead and just fill your cup with whatever kind of vegetified garbage you want to like put into it. But I can't imagine um, – I can't – I mean maybe it's just because people – like I don't like gloppy drinks. I don't like tons of garbage in my drinks. I don't like – I don't like drinking my cocktails through a Brillo pad of fake uh, spaghetti. So uh, I, I mean, I can't conceive of something. I mean, I could conceive of like, okay, okay. Let's just say there are people might do this. People might take some sort of uh, like apple, let's say, and uh, you know, shape it such that you could jam it into your vegetti, vegetify the apple into these strands, pour liquor over it. Uh, with some acid that causes the apple not to go brown, and then you have it'll fairly rapidly infuse because of the high surface area of apple, or you could do a light mash down of the apple, but I wouldn't because then it would get ugly. Then you drink the apple flavored stuff, and then you could take chopsticks and eat it afterwards. But it's just not my style. I would not do that. You know Good answer, though. Yeah, and you could substitute anything for that. Like I could see someone doing. Like some sort of like uh, Lady of the Night, which is a clarified Bloody Mary, and having some vegetified vegetables in there that would you know infuse and then be a meal afterwards. Because let's face it, a Bloody Mary is basically a liquid alcoholic meal, anyways. So I don't know. What do you think, Nastasia? Uh, that was a nice way to answer that question. Mm, all right. Um, now, uh, Jared wrote in about a zucchini. Um, Thanks for answering my questions in the past. This one is about zucchini and its sticky, slimy residue. We never actually finished this one last week, right, Dave? I don't think we did. Mm, I don't think so. When I dehydrate raw zucchini pieces, much of it tends to stick together, and I suspect that this residue is the culprit. Do you think that's the case? Yes. Residue? Get ready, Nastasia. I'm going to use the word exudate. Uh, which is Whoa. yeah. That's, I'm imagining oh, Nastasia. Right yeah, maybe you should have seen her face. Wow. Exudate. Um, yeah, it's like she like that because you know why? Because when it's, and whenever you say exudate, she's thinking like pimple popping. That's what she's thinking about. So I, I can nah, now. Jack's got the Nastasia well, face on. Exudate. Uh, she whenever like for instance, this is a little like knowledge drop knowledge on how Nastasia's mind works. Nastasia, like Nastasia, doesn't like look. The reason Nastasia, and I'm guessing this is a guess. We haven't actually had this conversation, but um, the reason she hates looking at pictures of uh, like leaf fungus and like those weird things that grow on plant leaves is because in her, in her mind, I think she instantly equates it with human skin. That's that's my feeling. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Wow, is that? Oh. <laughs> what? That's Dave on the on the vomiting sound effects. Do you know I used to be able to do a very passable uh, fake throw up noise, and uh, as I've aged, it puts too much pressure on the back of my eyeballs, and like I almost black out. Nobody does it better than Stephen Colbert. That but, was him. 
No, 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 but I'm saying he has the best fake throw-up sound in the world. Well, he better, like, keep using that now, because I think the older you get, the less good you're going to be at the fake throw-up. It's just like, like jamming up your diaphragm like that just puts a lot of internal pressure on your system. You know what I mean? All right. Yeah. Just like a jetty. Whoa. Okay. Um... Anyway, do I think that slimy stuff is the is the is the culprit? Yes. Uh, now, the, going on, Jared writes. Other than making sure pieces don't overlap, this is going to become a not family friendly show at this rate. We got vegetis. We got accidental racism. Horrible. It's a horrible day. Uh, other than making sure pieces don't overlap when dehydrating, which is unavoidable for my application, can anything else be done to neutralize this sticking? Um, the main issue is when I reconstitute the zucchini with water, the pieces tend to remain stuck together. I'd prefer they come apart within a few minutes. Thanks for your help, uh, Jared. Okay, so I looked up a, uh, an article called uh, This Extrafascicular Phloem is Made for Fighting, which it's like, like nowadays all these scientific papers have uh, like these catchy titles. So um, zucchini... Strangely, I don't have the good uh, version of, of the uh, thing here, but zucchini is, uh, is a, a cucurbit, right? The same way that pumpkins are cucurbits and watermelons and uh, – uh, did I say pumpkin already? Cucumbers, zucchini, all yeah. that stuff, all same, S- same family. And they all have these uh, – exi- like these like, – like this fl- – they say it's phloem-based, but they can be, like, exudates. So for any of you who have ever peeled a pumpkin, like, for soup, like, you'll notice it gets that weird stuff, and your hands get that, like, crazy skin on them from, like, that stuff uh, drying. And apparently, in pumpkin anyway, there's, like, hundreds of compounds in them. There's sugars, there's proteins, and they're surface active. And I think that that's what's, what's going on because they're also – present in in zucchini now the problem is you can't just peel it to get rid of it because i think these things are pretty dense into the zucchini so i don't think you can rationally just peel it and get rid of the stuff uh what i think and this is just a a, a guess uh is you maybe if we treat it and i didn't have a chance to look it up what the components in cactus slime are but for those of you that use uh nopales like, you know, cactus things, they're slimy, and you can either do a quick pre-boil on those to help out with the slime, or like, you know, you cut it, you do a little pre-boil, which I guess boils the slime off, drain it, rinse it again before you dehydrate it, or um, you could salt it, right, and then rinse it off, and the salt will help dry out, uh, you know, pull out the slime. So I would bet that either one of those techniques, and a little, let's be honest, a little bit of salt's not going to hurt the zucchini, am I right, guys? I mean, come on, please. Uh, if you, you yeah, if you salt the zucchini out a little bit first and then rinse the salt off and then dehydrate it, I think that might uh, help too. But I would look up um, like treating cactus slime. I'll do a little more research. Maybe I'll run a, a test on it, although I don't have scads of time to be cutting up zucchini, which is one of my least favorite vegetables anyways. But, you know, maybe, uh, Nastasi, maybe we can get Claire to vegetify a bunch of it and, uh, and test it out. Is she still making her zucchini... Her zucchini vegetti strands? It's evolved. It's evolved into a, a bigger and, and worse face. Okay. Yeah. Vegetti strands. Vigetti Good strands. lord. Yeah. Well, Nastasia's a lot of pain. Nastasia's friend, so I guess because she didn't want to carbo load, I don't know what her deal was, like, um, was making fake zucchini spaghetti, but then she would overcook it and then fry so it. She fried it. She fried it. Yeah. 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 All right. Whatever. I try to imagine something more horrifying than, like, just an oil-soaked strand of 
zucchini. How do you ate it? Was it actually bad? I didn't eat it. I've never eaten it. You were sitting in front of it, and you couldn't bring yourself to taste one bite. She would just tell me about it, how great it is. Well, you need to have some at this point. I mean, I feel like we've talked about it enough. You need to have it. Uh, mm. <laughs> Jack's like, nah, nah. <laughs> so, yeah, nah. Uh, Simon wrote in about uh, ultrasounds. I recently have acquired a centrifuge and a laboratory ultrasonic cell disruptor, which is a is so basically, it, it's a like they're powerful ultrasounds, and they just. They vibrate so rapidly that the cavitation from it at the tip causes things like cells to kind of break break apart. Uh, and Nastasia, you you hate the sound of it, right? Uh, oh, I hate that. Yeah, that high pitched thing. Yeah, yeah. People go running. It's crazy. Um, Anyway, I recently acquired a laboratory ultrasonic cell disruptor from a restaurant closing down. I'm very familiar with the centrifuge, but I have very little experience with the sonicator. Being a bartender, one of my main interests in this piece of equipment is to make infusions. I'm waiting for a replacement cap for the probe, so I haven't had the chance to use it yet. Do you remember when Ford used to have a uh, – Ford made a car called the probe? And they, literally the commercial was, is there anything hotter than a hot new probe? And And – I could not have been the only guy who was like, are you kidding me? You just said, whatever, anyway. So he's waiting for a new probe. Uh, are there any benefits to using a sonicator versus uh, classic infusion or ISI infusions? By the way, uh, I'll probably also have access to a rotovap soon. Uh, should I make ultrasonic absinthe? Thanks, Simon. Well, listen, if you're going to rotovap it, you just blend that stuff. You don't need to worry about any sort of like high, highfalutin infusion stuff uh, because you're going to distill it afterwards. The one trick that actually Nastasia, I think, came up with for the Rotovap is when you're going to distill something that has plant matter blended up in it, add a little bit of Pectinex Ultra SPL to the product that you're going to distill. Why? Because uh, pl- blended plant residue without it tends to foam up a lot, and one of the main problems when you're running a rotary evaporator is getting boil over into your distillate. It ruins everything. How many hours have we spent cleaning out Rotovaps after failed boils like that does? So many hours. So many hours. So Nastasi was like, Dave, idiot, why don't you just put some SPL into it so that it, the pectin breaks down and then it won't boil over? I mean, that's pretty much how it happened, right? I do not remember that. Maybe you just but did I, it by mistake. I don't know, but you did it, and it caused me wow. to never ha- never boil over uh, habanero pepper into my – If you bo- if you blend – habaneros or uh, nagajolokias or fatali peppers and you boil those over into your rotovap I used to clean it twice with soap lick it to verify that it wasn't hot anymore then re-clean it to get rid of the fact that I had just licked it it would take forever to clean those things and so the SPL trick in the rotovap I think is a, a good uh, a good pro tip Versus the uh, – now, we talk about the ultrasonic uh, homogenizer. I have one. I never really came up with uh, – you know, I know people who use it for infusions, but I've never had a side-by-side where I'm like, yeah, that stuff's delicious. Philip Preston sells them. Uh, I know some people that use them, but I'm not the guy – I mean, I could test it. I still have one, but uh, I just never built it in as part of what I, what I was doing, maybe because it sounded so – freaking god-awful that I never wanted to hear it. Um, I think some people who have them now have these, like, soundproof... It's even worse than that. It's even worse than that noise. It's like... How do I describe it? It's like someone's drilling a hole in your head, but at, like, a super high... high. Uh, th- it, the closest thing without buying it is when you throw 
a dry ice chunk into a um, into a hotel pan. Any of you ever done that, Nastasia? You know that noise where you drop a chunk of dry ice yeah. in a hotel pan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay, uh, we have uh, Darren wrote in about transcontaminates. He said, first of all, this is not hate mail. Uh, uh, by the way, transglutaminase, for those of you who don't know, uh, transglutaminase is uh, an enzyme. It's a meat glue, right? So it's the, it's the protein that you use to glue a- any one meat to any other, but it also strengthens uh, doughs, right, by, by reinforcing uh, protein bonds in doughs. It also uh, can strengthen cheese, tofu, but it's colloquially the chefs know it uh, as meat glue. And this is going to become important later to this story. Uh, Meat glue, the transglutaminase that we use in the kitchen is what's called microbial transglutaminase. It's derived from, uh, you guessed it, microbes. Uh, And it is different from – and another fact that that will become important later to this story is that your body is filled with transglutaminase because it's necessary for a bunch of things like blood clotting, hair growth, uh, skin, um, manufacturing skin, all all these kinds of things. And it also – uh, occurs in your intestine. Uh, now, tissue transglutaminase, which is the stuff that's in your body, there are there are many. There's not just one. There are many tissue transglutaminases in your body. Uh, they do relatively similar thing to microbial transglutaminase, but they are in fact different, and the structure of the proteins, the structure of the enzyme, is different. For instance, among many things, the transglutaminases in your body require calcium to work, whereas microbial transglutaminase does not. Now, a genomoto, like I said, makes the microbial transglutaminase and then sells it uh, to chefs. All right, so that's the background for for what's about to happen in Darren's question. All right. First of all, this isn't hate mail. I love the results that uh, transglutaminase has produced in my limited use of it. I've never eaten a chicken mousse that didn't, con- that didn't contain transglutaminase that didn't also have uh, an odd grainy texture. Uh, aside from this, I, uh, I was reading a study with, um, with a link below that they give me, and it reminded me of another study that was done showing the dangers of transglutaminase for celiac patients. Uh, further reading could not unearth this supposed groundbreaking study, but I came across several sources indicating that celiac uh, disease uh, attacks certain kinds of transglutaminase series that our body naturally produces. I am no chemistry uh, professional by any stretch, but this makes culinary. But uh, but this. Um, Makes sense because autoimmune syndromes attack our own body functions, suggesting that culinary transglutaminase is similar to the transglutaminase our body produces, giving a theory as to why it helps some celiac patients, as I remember you uh, mentioning before. Now, already it's starting to get complicated, which we'll, we'll get into. What bothered me after reading uh, this is the discovery of several studies indicating the use of transglutaminase in several gluten-free products to strengthen protein crosslinks and mimic the texture and spring gluten puts in bread and pasta. If celiac uh, disease is, in fact, targeting transglutaminase series in the body that may react to gluten in their body, then adding it to gluten-free products seems counterintuitive. Again, this doesn't affect me, and I don't really condemn any food additive as I, can, uh, as I accept is a fact of our food cycle now. But if you or anyone you know might have something that could shed some light on this subject, I'd be grateful. Meat glue already gets a bad enough rap as is. And then below uh, are some links in the studies that uh, Darren linked to where the function of tissue transglutaminase and celiac disease uh, and then something about uh, some stuff of how they, they use. Um, there's an interesting article, again, with the funny article names, Food in 
industrial micro, uh, microbial transglutaminase. That's not the funny part. In celiac disease, treat or trick, which is apropos for Halloween that's coming up. Now, I was reviewing some of these articles, and i got to be honest, it's a little more than my morning perusal could uh, get to the bottom of in terms of what's going on. But basically, here is, here is kind of what's known, not known, and what's going on. So in your gut, there are uh, tissue transglutaminase, human transglutaminase in your gut. When you consume um, uh, gluten proteins, which contain gliadin, which is the protein, that protein makes it uh, through your gut relatively undigested because it's difficult to digest proline. Uh, uh, yeah, well, anyway, uh, protein. But it, what? Protein. But what, your gut. But what happens is, is that the transglutaminase there, gliadin is uh, relatively uh, interesting in the fact that it has many, many, many sites that transglutaminase can use many free glutamines to bind it to other things. So uh, gliadin reacts very strongly with uh, tissue transglutaminase. This like further bulks it up and maybe makes uh, it more um, reactive for celiac diseases disease uh, suffers. Maybe. What also is known is that tissue transglutaminase not only cross-links the proteins, but also does something called deamidate them, which means it's knocking off uh, a functional group. And as far as I can tell, that really is one of the main problems that is causing um, the autoimmune response, is this deamidation. Okay? So, uh, that's what's happening to this uh, gliadin uh, that's in your system. Now, furthermore, uh, transglutaminase in your gut might also be implicated in other aspects of the pathway besides simply its functioning with um, gliadin, right? So there might be multiple things that are – or gliadin, I don't know how you pronounce it – that that might might be happening, and all of that is unclear to me. Now, when you go to read the studies on um, microbial transglutaminase, because remember, that stuff's transglutaminase. It's already in your gut. Uh, microbial transglutaminase, you are, first of all, uh, basically, if you cook it, you're deactivating it. The greater part of it, you're deactivating it. And second of all, it functions uh, slightly differently. The problem is, when you go to look at the studies, right, so, so some people have said this. Some people have said, uh, if you add uh, microbial transglutaminase to things that uh, contain uh, gluten proteins, uh, what you're actually doing is pre-react, you're making them stronger, so you don't need to have as much of them, and you're also pre-reacting uh, those proteins together so that they can't really undergo those reactions in your gut. Therefore, maybe it makes it uh, less reactive uh, for uh, celiac sufferers. That has been, as far as I can tell, inconclusive. Uh, the, uh, on the other side of the coin, perhaps these larger um, proteins that are made by cross-linking actually are more uh, inflammatory and actually um, cause more inflammation. This has also not been shown uh, conclusively one way or the other. The third question is, is if the microbial transglutaminase somehow uh, survives cooking or if you're eating it raw and makes it through the gut, could it mimic what's going on with tissue transglutaminase in your gut? Also, this has not been conclusively uh, tested one way or the other. So as far as I can tell, none of these things have been tested. Now, what has been tested, because Ajinomoto is worried about this, uh, are the very, the, these things. But I will say this. When you read the studies, uh, some of the studies that I've uh, gone through, I think including that food in, industrial microbial transglutaminase article and, and some of the other ones, um, that 
if they're paid for by Ajinomoto, just take that into account, right? Uh, that the people that make the transglutaminase uh, are have an axe to grind in this in this situation. Now the and their main points are are these. One, uh, they took uh, pasta and they transglutaminased the heck out of it, and then they tested to see whether it uh, created more reactive uh, antibodies, I guess, in the human in the human body, and they were not able to cause that to happen. So they're basically saying it doesn't seem to make uh, things like pasta that have been reinforced with uh, transglutaminase more reactive than they were before. That's their first point. Their second point is is that is that you know you should not if you have or suffer from celiac or, or intolerant to gluten, then you shouldn't contain thing. You shouldn't eat things with gluten in them uh, to begin with. And therefore, if there's gluten and transglutaminase, then that won't be a problem, right? Now, what? What that kind of leaves out is the fact that there's still the possibility, as yet untested, that things that are reactive, that, that might cause uh, a response um, in, in you when they're cross-linked by transglutaminase, um, wouldn't have caused a reaction in someone if they hadn't been linked by transglutaminase. So it's theoretically possible that you could have two things which someone with celiac could consume without, without, without problem. You meet, glue them together, and all of a sudden now it will cause a problem. This has never been shown that there is a case of this, but it is a theoretical possibility that needs to be uh, looked at. Now, a further thing that Ajinomoto says is that, look at the real problem with transglutaminase in um, – in, in, in your gut isn't the cross-linking. The real problem is the deamidation. And in fact, they say microbial transglutaminase is much less likely to deamidate uh, uh, the protein than tissue transglutaminase. And they did that not, here's the problem though, they didn't do that in someone's gut, they did that in vitro. And so their in vitro studies of microbial, microbial transglutaminase did not effectively increase how much the protein had been deamidated. So that's their argument that it's not going to do that deamidation thing. Uh, and their last and final argument is if you eat raw fish, if you eat raw meat, uh, they're full of transglutaminase anyway, actual tissue transglutaminase from the animal uh, sources. And you consume those things raw, and so if those things don't cause a problem, microbial transglutaminase doesn't cause a problem either. But as far as I can tell, that's the long and the long, frankly, because all of that was long, uh, current story on um, transglutaminase and celiac disease. Does that make sense, Stas? Yeah. You're already asleep? <laughs> yeah, she's got all that. She's already asleep. All right. Hey, Dave. Uh, she's been taking notes. No, she's been taking notes. Yeah, sure. Taking notes about, about how to call me a racist when we get off the air, even though I had no idea. That's what she's taking notes on. Hey, Dave. Oh, yeah. Hey, can, can I just interject really quickly? What's I just up? want to shout out. Um, I want to shout out Ed from Milk Cold Ice Cream. Remember he sent you all those ice cream sandwiches? Yeah, so do you get to go there on a regular basis now? Yeah, I've been, I've been hanging with him. He's a cool guy. Cool. Really good guy. just want to shout out uh, Ed from Milk Cold. Shout out. What do you got, Dave? That's it. Dave, I got chat room is asking if you ever had a chance to look into that nitro teeny thing. Did you read about this? Oh, I forget. It's this bar in Charleston that serves uh, a martini made with liquid <laughs> nitrogen at like negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit. Wait, is it with liquid nitrogen and not with nitrous? 
Liquid nitrogen. All right, Dave, in the next couple of minutes, if you can call up, or actually, Nastasia, if you can call up how this is done and figure it out so you can give it to me, then I'll, I can rant it out real quick. Yeah, I've got it here. Oh, yeah? Exactly. All right, read it. So this is the <laughs> warning label that comes with the martini. It says, liquid nitrogen is served at negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit. Nitrotini should be given the same respect as fire. Avoid rapid ingestion of any nitrotini before consuming. Da, da, da. Please allow a minimum of three minutes. Wait for the cloud-like liquid nitrogen, LN2, to completely dissipate or evaporate entirely. Do not attempt to inhale the water vapor during dissipation as it may disrupt the balanced ratio of nitrogen to oxygen gas in the air that you breathe. Failure to follow this warning in its entirety may result in severe burns, permanent internal organ damage, and other detrimental health problems. Please enjoy safely and responsibly. Why would you serve and, that? An eater in Charleston described the taste of these as, it says, tastes like type 2 diabetes. Well, you know, uh, Leo Robichek, one of my favorite uh, bar uh, people here in new york whenever he drinks a drink that's too sweet just goes diabetes that's all he says that's the only thing he says diabetes like wilford brimley like wilford brimley my favorite my favorite diabetic pitch person but the he's, um, the, best. he's the best i mean it doesn't get better for pitching uh, uh diabetes stuff than uh wilford you know than him you know i got diabetes right i mean it's the best bitis so anyway so that's what leo robichek says uh here's my thing why the hell would you serve that right why the hell also, they're nineteen dollars. That's I don't care how much you charge, right? Charge a billion dollars doesn't matter to me. Like if you know, God bless restaurants out there, bars out there. If you can charge something and somebody wants to pay it, God bless. You know what I mean? Like everyone's got to make a nickel. Think of how much money, Dave, people make for doing things that we don't respect in life. Think of how much freaking money people go out and make for anything. So the fact that a restaurant or a bar can charge whatever they want to charge for whatever they're doing. God bless. What do you think, Stas? Right? No? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, if you think they're, if you think they're ripping you off as a customer, don't go there. I don't like it when people are like, I can't believe what they're charging. A drink should only cost twelve dollars. They go to a place that charges twelve dollars for drinks. Yeah, then that or place don't order a drink. Don't order a drink. Right. Go somewhere else. Right, but this is also a drink that can cause permanent organ damage. That's the problem. So, like, it's the the cost of it is not a problem. But why would you ever serve that? That's like, first of all, that's like straight up gimmick. Second of all, no drink. It's very hard to get an accurate chill with liquid nitrogen. Very hard. And believe me, I've been doing it. For for years. One of the reasons it's really hard <laughs> is because uh, you can't even see what's going on. It's very hard to judge how much you've added. So unless you have some sort of special volumetric liquid nitrogen adder, it's very hard to figure out. You need more than you think to chill it down. So odds are you're going to get some nasty crust on the top of your drink and then a liquid underneath. Very hard. If you mix it while it's got liquid nitrogen it'll froth and spit and boil over into in, into the face and and i don't like being told to wait someone's going to drink it someone's going to do it you know what i mean i think a better uh drink would be to hand someone a first of all why is there sugar in a martini why the hell is there sugar in it anyway i they just hit me why is there sugar in this martini it's not a martini if there's sugar in it why is there sugar i, I don't have that answer okay so <laughs> I think a better thing to do would be to uh, uh, have a bunch of spinning razor blades that you suspend from the ceiling right in front of the patron's face 
and then say if you lean forward, your face will get cut off and then just serve them a normal drink because it's the same amount of danger. If they don't follow the instructions, they get their face cut off, but at least the drink will be good. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather have like some other physical harm or like have a whole bunch of uh, chef knives sticking straight up uh, out of the bar surface. And if you put the drink down wrong, you'll impale yourself. Like it's the same, st- same level of stupid. Why would you hand somebody a drink that can harm them? It's just really, really stupid. What do you think, Nastasia? Yeah, no, it's very, very stupid. And, you know, when somebody messes up, as they will – uh, in a situation like that, you know what's going to happen? Like people like us are not going to be able to use the liquid nitrogen anymore, even though it's completely valid because someone will have will have ingested uh, the liquid. To me, it seems like it's the same level of shock as any one of the, any one of the other weird shock things that people do. I mean, look again. God bless your place. If like this is the way to get the customers in, just don't do it in a way that could theoretically harm a your customer and b other people who want to use the technique in a different way. This is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. That was what's the name of that comedian that she when she said that about her own body when she got cancer. She said, she's hilarious. What's Tignataro? her name? Yeah. She she had she got cancer and then said this is why I can't have nice things about her own body. <laughs> no. Awesome. Amazing. So hilarious. Uh, if you can laugh about that, like you are a strong person, you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, so okay, I got a, a question here I want to get to before we go. Emily Burns all right, writes in. Quick. All right, I've been wanting to make hickory syrup, and all the recipes I've seen use the bark of a shag bark hickory. So this is not a tap the tree in the early spring uh, like a maple situation. You're making a bark tea and then adding sugar to it. A bark tea, Stas. What do you think about bark tea? Is that bother you, or you're right with that? She's gone. Jerry's still out. Yeah. Uh, my neighbors have a shell bark hickory tree, so I've been searching to see if there would be any difference in the syrup made from that bark. I haven't found any answers online, so I'm wondering if you had any idea. Thanks. Love the show. Emily Burns. Well, first of all, I looked it up again. So for those of you that don't know, shell, uh, shag bark hickory is like one of the great nut trees of um, the United States. It's caria ovata. It's related uh, to pecans, and I, I've – Cooked Nastasia and I and Piper when he was with us did a lot of work with um, shag bark hickory nuts. They're amazing. They taste freaking amazing. I like them more than a pecan, but they're just really hard to get the nut out of. Now there are various. Uh, one of the things about shag bark hickory is it's called. It's one of the most aptly named trees you can find because the bark looks super shaggy and is coming off in big things. So you can go into the forest, grab the bark off of it without hurting the tree. Make a tea. Uh, there's some art to making the tea, apparently, from what I've read. And then you dope in because uh, it gets bitter. You dope in uh, sugar, and there you have your syrup. Uh, now, the uh, shell bark hickory has is also known as the king nut. is has the largest, I think, hickory nut, and the nut itself is as sweet as the um, nut in a shag bark hickory. And I think its bark, while not as shaggy as a shag bark hickory, is still quite shaggy. And so if you can remove the bark without damaging the tree, I'd say go ahead and do it. I have some shag bark hickories uh, up in Connecticut. So then if I can ever get back up to Connecticut, I'm going to try to get some and make some of this. Now, what I don't know, it, you know, a lot of the other hickories, I have a lot of what's called like mocker nut hickories and pig nut hickories. Uh, pig nuts especially have terrible tasting uh, uh, nuts. They're super tannic. I've, you know, I've 
always try to find ones that are they're completely inedible. I don't know if that would translate to the bark, but the other problem is those trees don't have the kind of bark that sheds off properly. So I'm going to go ahead and say that shell bark hickory will probably – uh, make as good a syrup as uh, shag bark, and one of the reasons you don't hear about it is that shell bark is uh, a lot rarer than shag bark. And I also read that in some places the shell bark is also called shag bark, even though they're actually two different species. The the shell bark being uh, Caria uh, uh, lasiniosa, which I don't know, but Caria ovata is the one we get shag bark. So give us a try and let us know. I'll try to make it with my shag bark, and maybe we can compare notes over the radio. Uh, shout outs to uh, Raymond uh, Lochichero. Is that how you pronounce that, Dave? Lochichero? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. What? A donor. I was giving a shout out. I was giving a donor shout out. Thanks for donating. Oh, thanks. And uh, oh, that's it. We'll back next week. Back next week with more cooking issues. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.